if you have a chance, go and listen to Donald Trump's uh, 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 Christmas address. It is incredible. Um, actually, let's just let's listen to it. Let's just listen to it. This is what I'm talking about. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Reactionary Christian, where we react against anti-Christianity and the general insanity of our times. I am your host, Gabriel Finocchio, and we have a great show for you today. Lots of content to talk about, lots of content to react to, and it's just going to be marvelous. This is episode seven. I can't believe we've made it this far, and I, I always say that because I'm always expecting to be canceled. <laughs> it's just, I just, I'm just waiting. It's like the sword of Democles hanging over my head and I'm just waiting for it to drop. And, um, no, I, I'm, this is awesome. I'm having so much fun. This show is, um, it's kind of like a relief for me. And I just feel like this is my ventilation system. You know, I, <laughs> This is like the next level of ventilation. I, I, I really, if you follow me on Instagram, I ventilate through my stories. But now this is like a different form of ventilation. And I'm liking it. I'm really enjoying it. And I hope you're enjoying it too. Um, I hope that everybody is just loving it, lapping it up and laughing it up. Because really, I look at myself as a comedian first and foremost, um, and then maybe an entertainer second, and then maybe just an all around good guy third. And then, and then fourth, fourth, and finally a Bible teacher. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> but anyway, you know, it's, it's funny. Cause like, I'm, I'm getting used to like the interactions online and, and I have to say, there's there's some really interesting comments that people make um, on the on the posts. I'm like, I find myself reacting to the the, the comments on the posts, just like I'm reacting to videos or whatever. But uh, for like the last, the one that's going through my mind right now is this John Maxwell one that we just dropped. We we made a clip of that from the last episode, episode six, and. Um, and I was kind of going off on the John Maxwell leadership stuff and, and people are, you know, chiming in <laughs> and it's, it's a different, you know, that clip hits differently um, because, you know, I'm look, look, you have to understand, I'm not targeting anybody here, right? I'm just like these videos, they hit me. The algorithm hits me. The algorithm comes for me. We, we live in a day and age where, where the media finds you. You don't have to look for the media. It's looking for you. And so this reactionary stuff is like, yeah, I'm, I'm, ab I'm absolutely reacting to things that are looking for me and coming for me. And, uh, but it's just funny because like with the John Maxwell stuff, you get a lot of people who are leaders, pastors, um, you know, uh, leadership junkies and, and CEO type people, alpha type guys, and they've spent their life researching John Maxwell. <laughs> and here I am smashing that idol. And, um, and I really, I really enjoyed doing that, but it's funny. Like 
people people come onto the thing and they're like, you know, um, you know, I think John Maxwell's great, and you know, blah 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 blah. And I'm like, well, I'm not actually attacking John Maxwell. I'm actually just, I'm I'm dealing with his ideas, right? And that's I think an important distinction, like separating. And I'm always trying to do this, separate the idea from the person. We should be able to talk about a person's ideas without going into ad hominem about the person. Uh, and so, but but the way people think is they immediately think, well, if if you criticize a person's ideas, you are criticizing that person. And I have a problem with that. I don't think that that's good and healthy for any sort of dialogue or argumentation or uh, uh, or logical thinking. Um, I think that that is detrimental to conversation. And especially when you are talking about um, ideas, because people represent ideas. People believe in ideas. Ideas, in that sense, cannot be necessarily always detached from the people who represent them. And so if I'm not allowed to talk about an idea because a person is is talking about that idea, representing that idea, promulgating and promoting that idea, then I'll never be able to talk about ideas <laughs> because you'll always find somebody who is representing an idea. And so but but according to you know these critics i'm not allowed to talk about john maxwell's ideas because then i'm criticizing john maxwell well no i'm not i'm not criticizing john maxwell but i i am dealing with his ideas and reacting to his ideas and um you know because someone got on and said well gabe thinks you know john maxwell thinks he's god and and it's like no i don't think that john maxwell thinks that he's god John Maxwell's probably, I've never met the man, but he's probably a very humble person. He's probably a great guy. He's probably super nice. And, um, and we would have a lot of fun, you know, hamming it up. And I'd be, if I met him, I would be in awe and I'd be, you know, uh, shocked that he would even give me the time of day. But, um, but, but I would hope that John Maxwell uh, would not attach his ego to his ideas. And if if his followers are attaching their egos to their ideas, I think that's also problematic. We should be able to talk about your ideas uh, if you have them. <laughs> if you don't have any ideas, okay, no problem. But, you know, if you have uh, um, convictions, if you have beliefs, we should be able to talk about your beliefs and it shouldn't be offensive to you that we do that because we're talking about truth. And, and again, if we can't do that without you being offended um, and you crying out in pain, ad hominem, ad hominem, you know, Oh, they're insulting me. Like if I criticize your idea and I, and you take that as a personal insult, bro, your ego is attached to your ideas I'm not actually in, in, in that point at that point I'm not arguing with your ideas I'm arguing with your ego and your pride and that's that's total foolishness um, people do not own truth people do not own ideas 
um, or uh, people uh, believe in them, but God is the one, God is the origin of all truth, and all truth exists in God, and so uh, God is the truth, and so we we have to understand that um, you that people aren't God. <laughs> Getting back to my John Maxwell point, <laughs> again, I was just I was what I was. Um, criticizing was and reacting to was what he was saying and and the implications of what he was saying and the content and that's that's what we should be focused on um so anyway all that to say you know i also i also love the some of the some of the guys that get on they're like you know i love gabe but you know it's like you don't have to say you love me <laughs> it's like we're always trying to make people feel good Right. And so it's like, oh, I love Gabe. I love Gabe, but I disagree with this. It's like, you don't, well, you can just say, hey, I disagree with this. You don't have to tell me that you love me. Hey, listen, everybody, I know you love me. I know you're obsessed with me. Why are you so obsessed with me? So I know, I know you guys can't get enough. And, and that's good. And um, because it's who I am that's changing you. I want you all to know that I have changed you. And without me, you can do nothing, okay? Because it's who I am that's changing all of you. And uh, <laughs> anyway, let's jump into some content here, okay? Not enough with the fun. Um, so we're going to jump around. And, um, I don't even, honestly, some of these, I haven't watched all the way through. <laughs> I just saw them and I'm like, yeah, I want to watch this. So I'm like, you know, this is all reacting in real time, uh, for, for some of these. And the first one I want to pull up is Michael Gungor. Okay, let's go. This is, this is like going to be rapid fire reaction. Here we go. I don't even know what this guy's going to say. Let's go. So I've been getting a lot of. Uh, Christians coming on and offering me scriptures uh, either in DMs or in comments and stuff. Okay, so just really quickly, this guy, if you don't know who Michael Gungor is, he was like a super popular Christian musician, CCM artist, and um, I really don't know the whole story, but all I know is I, I just, like, I know the outline and the outline is he was he's a pastor's kid, I think, and oh, this these the audio needs to come up a bit. Here we go. And um, he was a pastor's kid, and he, you know, was doing worship, and and he was doing uh, Christian music for a long time, and then like something happened, you know, and he had this crisis of faith, and then he stopped being a Christian, and then he he got into like um, Eastern mysticism, I suppose, and. I don't even, you know, I don't know if he believes in God anymore anyway, but now he's like referring to people as Christians coming into his DMs. <laughs> he's like these Christians. I don't know who they are. They're like an alien species. It's like, bro, you're a pastor's son. <laughs> uh, bro, uh, you know exactly who these people are. <laughs> okay, keep going. We'll keep About going. why my, my inclusivity of different perspectives and my value in that is... I love that word. Wrong. And I've heard this thing. I wanted to address one specific uh, thread that I've heard, not just here, but for years from other people as well. This verse in 2 Timothy 4, where he says uh, there will be a time where people have their these itching ears to hear the kind of gospel that they want to hear. 
And I've heard that used to excuse, like, oh, that's, that's why we can't be accepting other people and we can't be affirming of, of people with different sexualities and different beliefs because that's what our itching ears want to hear. That's a sloppy gospel. Mm. What, what part of us is itching to do that? Is it, is it our ego or is it possibly our hearts, our compassion? To me, when I think about ears itching for a gospel that would make them feel special, that would make them feel above other people, then that exclusivity seems far more like a gospel that would reach the ego's itching ears than one of love, compassion, and inclusivity. Thoughts? Mm, mm. Oh, well, he just asked for my thoughts. I'll give you my thoughts. <laughs> Well, since you asked me for my thoughts, um, I should I should absolutely take you up on that offer, uh, kind sir. And wow, um, I think that we have a lot of jargon in there, and um, you'll notice that it is jargon, right? These these words they're like uh, magic they're like magic words. They're they're meant to. Um, almost like sloganize for an ideology so that you, you know, so they're, they're like, they're dog whistle. I think we call them dog whistle terms. Um, but the word inclusivity, the word compassion, um, you know, these terms, uh, love, that's another one, you know, love is love, love is love, everyone. Um, these, these terms are, terms that have been hijacked from Christianity and they've they're they're uh terms you know that are they they mean something in a biblical context but of course our liberals and our uh godless heathens <laughs> no are are really our anti-christians uh like Mr. Gungor here uh who once was a christian knows what christianity is about and now is 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 he's reacting. He's a reactor. He's a reactionary anti-Christian. Uh, he's reacting against Christianity. He knows uh, the biblical framework, but he rejects that. And but he still wants to use the words. You see, he wants to keep the the exterior forms, but he wants to gut uh, the interior meaning of those words. And and. Um, and so we use the, you know, he's using these words, but, but of course he's twisting them because the Bible uses these terms, right? The Bible defines love. Um, and the, the Bible defines compassion and, and inclusion really. But be, because he's in reaction against Christianity, he, he is, uh, not using the biblical framework and definition of those terms, and he's twisting it into a an anti-biblical, anti-Christian, uh, anti-rational understanding of those terms. So, so yeah, so so let's um, let's go to what he was saying. He he was saying here is there's there's a verse found in Second Timothy. Second Timothy four, where he says uh, there will be a time where people have their these itching ears to hear the kind of gospel that they want to hear. Okay, so let's turn to 2 Timothy 4 to see what he's talking about, Har. Okay, where's my trusty Bible gateway? 
No, I don't want to support free content. Okay, we're going to continue without supporting you. You know, I, I love it when I like pull up at a drive-thru and they're, and it's like this, you know, it's like Taco Bell or, um, yes, I eat Taco Bell. I'm a single man. Okay. Man shall not, a single man shall not live by bread alone, but by every burrito from Taco Bell. Um, well, I pull up into these, these drive-thrus, these massive corporations that are making like billions and billions of dollars. And they're like, would you like to support youth? <laughs> would you like to round up? You know, your bill is uh, $15.10. Would you like to round up to $16 to support youth today? I'm like, well, would Taco Bell like to give uh, $1 billion of their hundreds of billions of dollars of revenue to support youth? How about that? Talk about fleecing the flock, Taco Bell. Okay. By the way, this whole podcast has been sponsored by Taco Bell. So, okay, where were we? Second Timothy... Chapter four. Okay, let's let's do yeah, we can we can we can read the NET. I like the NET. I I always read the translation that agrees with my theology. Okay, here we go. So what is he saying? He's he's saying the itching ears. Oh, okay, right here. So Paul is charging Timothy to to uh before God and Jesus Christ, uh, who's going to judge the living and the dead. Uh, and he's, he says, I solemnly charge you to preach the, the, the message, which is the word. And he tells Timothy, be ready, whether, whether it is convenient or not. He says, Re reprove, rebu rebuke, and, re and exhort with complete patience and instruction. And then he says, for there will be a time when people will not tolerate sound teaching or sound doctrine. Okay. Uh, the word doctrine means teaching. So other translations say sound doctrine. Paul is constantly talking about sound teaching, sound teaching, teaching that has integrity, teaching that is uh, healthy, healthy teaching. You know, when we're talking about, you know, a healthy, uh, uh, a healthy body, you know, are you of sound body and sound mind? You know, it's like, is there, are you healthy? Are you doing good? Well, healthy teaching makes healthy Christians. So Paul says there's going to be a time when people don't want to eat healthy spiritual food. They want to eat Taco Bell, okay? Because <laughs> they're because Gabriel Finocchio is changing them. Who he is is changing who they are. No, so there will be a time when people won't tolerate sound teaching. Instead, they're going to follow their own desires and they will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things. I really like that. I really like that translation. Um, the Greek says having an itching uh, in regard to hearing, having literally itching ears. So um, they have an itch and that itch needs to be scratched. You know, there are times where you're not supposed to scratch the itch. <laughs> But we, but Paul's saying there's going to be people who they can't help but scratch the itch. They need to scratch the itch because it's it's it actually has to do with their what what he says earlier. He says following their own desires, following their own desires. You know when your desires are are transformed by the renewing of your mind, when your when your desires are changed by God, 
your desires f- change towards his will. A lot of people find the will of God distasteful, um, much like children who find eating broccoli distasteful <laughs> because their desires are for chicken fingers. Their desires are for unhealthy food. They, if, if you could, if you asked a child what they would like to eat every day, um, and they could choose their diet, they would choose, um, junk food. They would choose Captain Crunch probably for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then they'd snack on chicken fingers and, um, they, they, they might, I don't know, they might go for some pizza, but but children aren't thinking of colon cancer, right? <laughs> children aren't thinking of uh, getting, uh, becoming anemic and not properly eating nutrition. They're not thinking that way because they're children and they haven't developed their understanding of life. But adults understand nutrition and that's why adults are parents. And, and so the parent loves the child. And because the parent loves the child, remember what the definition of love is. Love is to will the good of another person. So God wills the good for us and he sends Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. Parents love their children. And so they give their children healthy food to eat and they put their children to bed at a reasonable hour. It should be eight. Okay. Eight o'clock children are in bed at eight. Um, but children go to bed at a, at a reasonable time so that they get enough sleep. And the parents are thinking of these things for the children, for the health and the good of the children, because they love their children. And that's an instinctive, natural love because the children are related to themselves and people naturally love themselves. They take care of themselves. So they're going to, by extension, take care of their children. Well, and their families. Okay. All that to say, when we are children in Christ, when we are babies in Christ, there's a point where we desire milk, but then there's a point where we're past milk and we're kind of in this, we're in this media, this, uh, uh, this intermediary stage where we're not quite, we haven't quite developed adult sen- uh, uh, sensibilities and sentiments and tastes. And, um, but we're not yet, we're not, we're, we're not like babies and only drinking milk. Uh, now we have, we, we know what chicken fingers taste like. And we know what Captain Crunch tastes like. And we, and we naturally gravitate as immature children towards the sweet things, towards the things that we, that are made and and actually, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Like they make Captain Crunch to be addictive. Like they know what they're doing. Okay, they're th- you know these people are sitting around for days and days and they're just scheming of ways to make you addicted to the food. Okay, getting back to the text, you know, we become through th- through our own desires addicted to particular things, but those those things that we're addicted to are uh, developed by teachers. So apply all this food talk to, 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 to doctrine and you begin to understand what Paul is saying. He's saying that these immature people, their children, 
desiring things that are not good for them. And then they accumulate and pay and uh, through patronage, uh, hire teachers to tell them what they want to hear as immature people like children paying Kellogg's to make Captain Crunch cereal for them. <laughs> you will <laughs> make us Captain Crunch every day and we will eat it and we love it. And, uh, and so these people have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things and they will, and look what Paul says in verse four, and they will turn away from hearing the truth. Ain't that the truth? Welcome to 2024. Welcome to the last, yes, geez. Welcome to the last few decades of, of, uh, life in America. Okay. So they will turn away from hearing the truth, but on the other hand, they will turn aside to myths. And so, um, so Paul, uh, Paul then tells Timothy, you, however, and Timothy is the, the lead pastor of the church in Ephesus. You, however, should be self-controlled in all things, enduring hardship, endure hardship, do an evangelist's work, fulfill your ministry. So, um, so this, this passage is really all one, one take where Paul is saying, look, you know, he's, he charges Timothy to preach the word, right? He said, remember in verse two, he says, preach the word. He charges him. He says, this is my command to you. This is what these are my, and this is, we have to remember in context, this is the last chapter that Paul ever wrote because after this he was killed. So Paul says to Timothy, these are my famous last words. These are my final thoughts towards you. Preach the word and what, and, and look at what he says, whether it is convenient or not in season, the Greek says in season or out of season. It's a agricultural um, idea that he's communicating to Timothy because Timothy is like a farmer seeding the uh the soil right he is the sower of the seed the seed is the word of god and so but he says whether it's convenient or not do it whether whether people want to hear it or not preach it whether it's welcome or unwelcome preach the word and reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and instruction and the reason why he's saying this to, to Timothy is because there will come a time when people won't listen to, they won't tolerate it. They won't tolerate the sound teaching. But, but that can't get in Timothy's way. That can't change his message. The weather, Timothy can't look at the weather and say, oh, the weather's changing. I guess I, I got to change what I'm doing. No, Paul's saying, don't worry about the weather. Build right build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, build on the rock and allow Christ to, uh, to bring the growth, allow the Holy spirit to bring the growth. You are not responsible for the growth. The Holy spirit is responsible for the growth. He is responsible for doing the thing that only God can do. And because we aren't God, but, but we have a task Pastors have a task. Shepherds have a task. Leaders have a task. And Christians in general have a task. And that is to be obedient to God. And that is to do his will. And, and particularly for Timothy as a leader, as a shepherd, 
uh, and as a as a farmer of, of the, the tiller of the soil of the church, the hearts of the people, he is to just preach the word. And there's there's so many leaders in our day and age who don't want to teach the word, who don't want to uh, say something because because it's going to affect the money that comes into the church. It'll affect how many people come to church. It'll affect whether people like them on social media or not. It'll, it might even affect whether they have a social media or not. <laughs> um, so it is what it is, but you just have to do it because it's, if you're working for God, you have to be obedient to your boss, right? And God is the boss. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy and, and giving him wonderful advice here. But notice, and again, in verse four, he says, they will turn away from hearing the truth. And he's saying the truth and sound doctrine are the same, right? Because he already said people, there will come, there will come a time where they won't, te they won't tolerate sound doctrine, sound teaching. And then he says, they will turn away from the truth. And then they're going to, on the, they're going to turn aside to myths, to fantasies, to projections of reality of that, what, to projections of what they want reality to be that are, that are rooted in their own twisted desires. And again, getting back to that point, I don't know if I finished that point, but when, when we first come to the Lord, many times we find what his will is to be distasteful. But when you actually do his will, the more you do his will, the more you find it tasteful, the more you find it tasty, the more you love it, the more you cherish it, and the more your your desires change. Because God is after a change in our desires. And the de your desires are the deepest part about you. You know, the real you is what you really desire. Did you know that? Your desires motivate everything that you do in life. And so God wants to change the desires that you have. And he wants to make your desires the, the his desires. And that's what prayer does to us. It, it turns our desires into his desires. But so many of us are trying to change God into what we want, into our desires. And this is really what Michael Gungor has done and what, what people like him are doing is that they are, and let's, let's, let's watch the video as he processes this. And, and I've heard that used to excuse, like, oh, that's, that's why we can't be accepting other people. And we can't. Okay, so that's why we can't be accepting other people. Okay, so this is, again, this is a, an, uh, an emotional appeal. That phrase doesn't mean anything, accepting other people. It doesn't, that's not a specific phrase, right? But it sounds good, <laughs> doesn't it? Doesn't that sound good? Oh, oh, I want to accept other people, you know? So he's appealing to people's emotions, right? This is why we need need theology, which is what I talked about last week with John Gray. Because if we're not going to be, uh, if our theology isn't going to make sense, it's just, it turns into nonsense, right? And this is just, this is just nonsense, but it sounds good and it makes us feel good. It's, it's garbage and junk food, but it, it makes us feel good. So we eat it. Do you see? And that's childish. Okay, let's keep the affirming of, of people with different sexualities. And okay, so that's more specific. So that's kind of where he's going. So he's like accepting other people. But really what I mean is affirming people with different sexualities. So, um, so, so he's, he's clearly being um, <laughs> influenced by the sexual revolution, 
and there's uh, he's uh, he's obviously bought into the ideology of the sexual revolution which is that sex is whatever you want it to be and there is no natural law that tells us what sexuality should be nor is there a biblical uh, divine law and precept that tells us what sexuality should be um, we're going to get a little bit deeper into this later in the episode but basically you know he so he's he's saying this is what this is what I mean by accepting other people. We should go against what the Bible says about sexuality. <laughs> you know, okay. at least because that's what our itching ears want to hear. That's a sloppy gospel. But what what part of us is itching to do that? Is it is it our ego or is it possibly our hearts, our compassion? To me, when I think about ears itching for a gospel that would make them feel special that would make them feel above other people that that exclusivity seems far more like a gospel that would reach the ego's itching ears than one of love compassion and inclusivity okay so this is basically the child telling the parent you know the reason why you don't let me eat captain crunch is because you're <laughs> being a meanie you're a meanie head, dad and mom. Typically, it's mom, right? It's it's usually mom that's that's feeding the good food. My mom, you know, she would she would make uh, chocolate chip cookies, or no, no, she she would make chocolate chip muffins, <laughs> and that <laughs> and they but they weren't really chocolate chip muffins. I mean, let's be honest. Like when you take those things apart, it's like it's like fifty percent seeds. It's like uh, 30% uh, bran. <laughs> it's, <laughs> and the rest is, um, <laughs> the rest is just like all health stuff, right? And there's like two chocolate chips in there. And there's bananas in there. You know, like my mom was like, she was making all that because she wouldn't buy, um, she made our lunches. My mom is incredible. She was the most amazing woman. And I love you, mom. Um, she was the most incredible mom because she, you know, she was always home for us. She was there for us. She was a stay-at-home mom, house housewife, housemaker, and homemaker, and she made all our lunches every single day, right? So, but she made when she's making these lunches, she's like, "I'm going to make these lunches super healthy," you know, and I just remember hating hating my life. And um, that's why I, I, I was in I was in therapy. I was in suicide therapy for eight years straight. And it was so traumatizing. I was traumatized at an early age. And so I'm still coping and dealing with the trauma that the childhood trauma from my mom uh, and the chocolate chip cookies that were full of bran and oats and seeds and stuff. No, but it's like. My mom loved me, cared about me. She made these chocolate chip muffins uh, and wouldn't buy the Joe Louis and the the uh, Twinkies and the Dunkaroos and all the stuff my friends would eat who later all developed colon cancer. It's terrible. They all died at the same time. But um, <laughs> but no, like, you know, my, my friends, they would be eating amazing junk food and I would be eating this garbage which was actually not garbage it was nutritious 
I thought it was garbage, and I would I would I would constantly like barter and negotiate. I had like a little you know um, Arabian marketplace where I would be you know bartering and and dickering with the uh, with the prices of things and saying, hey, I'll give you three chocolate chip cookies. Uh, three chocolate chip muffins for your uh, one Dunkaroo, please. <laughs> and everybody's like, nope, not interested, Gabe. But but yeah, so basically what he's doing here is he's saying he's like flipping the tables, right? And t trying to turn the tables on. It's like a child trying to turn the tables on the parent. He's turning the tables on the Bible and on people who are trying to follow the Bible and on historic Orthodox Christianity, what the church has always taught about sexuality, and what uh, how, how how the church has always interpreted the scriptures according according to an Orthodox uh, means on sexuality, <clears throat> and he's turning that and saying, "You guys are mean because you're you know well you say that you're loving, but you're just you have a superiority complex, mom and dad. You just think that you're better than us kids." <laughs> You know, you, <laughs> you're not being inclusive mom and dad. And, um, and that's really what's going on here. It's a, it's a sort of manipulation game, uh, emotional manipulation that children, you know, again, children love doing this. You know, my, my little niece, Georgie, I love her. She's amazing, but she's a typical child. Right. And, and so <laughs> when she, when she can't get her own way, you know what she does? She, she talks but while she while she's talking, she's crying. It's cry talking, you know, and I've seen this a number of times. And Georgie, you know, I apologize for using you as my illustration, but she she cry talks and she's like, but I really want to do that. Can't you tell me? Can't you help me? Because I really want to the captain crunch cereal and you are being so mean to me because i can't have it and it's, and it's the funniest thing and it when she's when she's crying like think of this precious beautiful you know four-year-old girl uh she's crying and your heart immediately melts and you're just like oh of course i'm gonna give you the captain crunch cereal for the eighth time today <laughs> But again, like this is what he's doing. He's he's trying to manipulate you. He's trying to, you know, use Jedi mind tricks on you and turn it and gaslight you almost and say it's like theological gaslighting. It's like, well, the Bible, you know, if you were really, you know, compassionate and loving, you would you would turn away from sound teaching. If you were really compassionate, you wouldn't have this superiority complex where you think you're right. And you you believe you know what this this truth thing, you know imagine imagine telling that to the apostle Paul you know right like Paul is literally warning people about uh, he's warning Timothy about people like Michael Gungor. <laughs> so um, so I don't know what to say. I mean it's it's the, the the love as I said if we define love and I would say this to to Michael Gungor how do you define love how do you define compassion how do you define inclusivity um, you know is there a temptation for Christians to be egotistical about their beliefs of course there is um, because pride is the last temptation of the saint 
right? Um, you know, we can always pride ourselves in, in, hum in our humility. We can always find something where we can take the glory and instead of reflecting the glory back to the Lord and saying, Lord, you are the highest glory. You are the source of all glory. And my glory is a reflection of your glory. Um, and it's, it's, I, I'm not the source of my glory, but Lord, you, whatever I have, you have given me that, that humility, that posture of humility can become actually a temptation towards pride where we pride ourselves in how humble we are <laughs> because so pride, pride doesn't even, you know, again, pride doesn't know boundaries, um, which is the danger of it and why it's, it's demonic. And, and so, uh, and really the, again, the worst, the worst kind of sin. So can a Christian be tempted to pride? Yes. Can a Christian walk around and say, I'm better than all these people? You know, can a Christian uh, walk around like the Pharisee walked around and said, thank you, God, that I'm amazing, that I don't have any problems and that you've made me so incredible? Um, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. And so that's why we should always and the church has always taught that we should have that we should that we should confess our sins and that we should always say, have mercy upon us, Lord, have mercy upon me. And we should we should always remind ourselves that the mercy of God, it's by the mercy of God that we are what we are and by his grace that we are what we are. And so. Um, so, yeah. So is there a temptation? Potentially? Yes, there is. But it's not intrinsic. Um to believing in truth to 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 be proud that's that's not if it's rooted in god there's nothing to be proud of the boast would be in god in which we are we are told to boast in god but again um i don't think he's defining love and compassion and inclusivity properly i think he would define love as an emotion and whatever people whatever makes people feel good as opposed to what is actually good because again, children feel good after eating Captain Crunch, but is Captain Crunch cereal good for children? Um, do you see what I'm saying? Uh, so, and that's really how we differ in the nature of how we define good. And there are things that are good for us that we don't like and that you know uh, we reject. And sexuality and the sexual revolution is something that has been sold to us as good because it makes us feel good but the truth is is that no it's it's sexuality cannot simply be judged based upon based upon how we feel and again you know he, he mentioned these sexualities like all oh, people's different sexualities it's like as though sexuality is this is a is a, is a thing like uh is it well it's as though it's it's something that is mere preference uh instead of actual principle and it's it's no it's sexuality is based on principle it's based on what it should be and what it ought to be anyway so that's my that's my reaction there um we spent way too much time on that but we're gonna get on to another video okay okay great love that bye michael i really wanted to get to this one here this is um vivek rameswami this guy uh so I don't typically um, talk about politics, but today I'm making an exception. No, I, <laughs> I don't typically talk about politics um, only because I don't really think that policies necessarily have anything to do with religion. Um, but politics does in its root have something to do with religion. 
And um, and so when politics, um, you know, uh, when when politics actually uh, talks about religion, I'm going to talk about politics. So this is a clip that I saw online of Vivek talking about his faith. And I really was um, interested in um, watching more of it. So we'll see how far we can get into this one. Um, but let, let's give it a listen. Oh, by the way, Vivek is a, if you don't know who he is, he is a um, potential, uh, well, he's he's in the race to become potentially the president of the United States this fall. Okay, here we Let's go. Let's turn to Jenny Mitchell. She is an entomologist at Iowa State University from Boone, Iowa. She is a Republican who is currently undecided. Jenny? Thank you. Thanks for being here, and thanks for coming to Iowa so much. We appreciate your visits. Uh, so freedom of religion is a part of our Constitution and obviously a huge part of our country. What do you say to those who say that you cannot be our president because your religion is not what our founding fathers based our country on? Well, I would say that I respectfully disagree. And, you know, I want people to understand this about me. I would rather speak the truth and lose an election than to win by playing some political snakes and ladders. I mean, if I wanted to map out my political career and really solve for that, you know, I could fake convert. You know, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you about my faith. I'm Hindu. Now, I went... You need to fake convert. I'll tell you right now, Vivek, you need to fake convert. Christian schools. <laughs> I went to St. Xavier in Cincinnati, and I actually have been on the board of St. X, except for a hiatus to run for president. And I can tell you with confidence that we share the same value set in common. I'll tell you about my faith. My faith teaches me that God puts each of us here for a purpose. That we have a moral duty to realize that purpose. Which God? Which God are you talking about? <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. And, and we have a moral duty to realize the purpose. I mean, what's the purpose, right? He's like, everybody's got a purpose. Well, what's the purpose that you're defining? God works through us in different ways. So does the but devil. we're still equal because God resides in each of us. Does God reside in each of us? Is that like, see, these are all religious claims that he's making. You see, like you can't just say, well, we share equal values. And here are some really weird ones that are actually not Christian. <laughs> but he's making Vivek is making theological claims. And you can't get this is how this is why you can't separate religion from politics. Um, you can separate church and state, but you can never separate religion from politics because politics gets its understanding of itself from religion. Uh, politics is downstream from religion. So Vivek is making these claims um, but these claims, when you examine them, are probably rooted in more of his religion than in our religion. Now, I had what you would call not a traditional upbringing, but probably a very traditional upbringing. Right? My parents taught me family is the foundation. Marriage is sacred. Divorce isn't some option. You just prefer off a menu when things don't go your way. Abstinence before marriage is the way to go. Adultery is wrong. Okay, that's good. I agree with that. That the good things in life involve a sacrifice. Now, are those foreign values in this country? Well, you have to, again, you have to 
understand them in the context of his religion because different religions will allow different things. Like, I don't know, does Hinduism allow polygamy? Right? Christianity doesn't. Um, Christianity says polygamy is wrong. So that would be my question. Does, does, does Hinduism allow polygamy? Uh, or various forms of, of marriage that are not permitted in Christianity. And, and I know that Christian, you know, in Christianity, we believe in marriage as a particularly Christian marriage as a sacrament, as something that God has done and that Christ has said, this is uh, sacred. This is holy matrimony. This isn't just going to the courthouse and saying, yeah, babe, we're going to live together. Yeah, this is, this is a holy thing that God enters into based on the fact that these two people know who God is and they're invoking the name of Jesus Christ. And so, so yes, we, we do believe in natural marriage, but Christian marriage isn't natural. It's supernatural. I know it could look that way at times. You turn on the television, go to the movie theater, your local DEI training at a company or what they're teaching your kids in schools. That could seem a little unfamiliar. I don't think it's unfamiliar to most of us. I think those are the same Judeo-Christian values that I learned at St. X. When we get to the Ten Commandments, what do they say? Judeo-Christian. Barf. <laughs> Judeo-Christian. There we go. What is, I mean, Judeo-Christian, really? Judeo-Christian? After we've talked about this? Come on, Vivek. Watch my podcast, Vivek. Um, yeah, okay. So Judeo-Christian, that's, that's, he's saying Judeo-Christian because he, is appealing to the Republican conservative base that thinks that that word is the best thing since sliced bread. There's one true God. Don't take his name in vain. Wait. Yeah. Okay. So hold on. Let's, let's watch this again. To the 10 yeah. commandments. What do they say? I think those are hold the on. same Judeo Christian values that I learned at St. X. When we get to the 10 commandments, what do they say? There's one true God. Don't take it. Well, hold on. Yes, the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments were not founded. The, the Ten Commandments were not from the Hindu religion. Okay. The Ten Commandments are found in the Christian religion. And they are in the Christian Bible and they are interpreted according to a Christian understanding. When there's when we when he, when he says there's one true God, yes, Christians believe that there's one true God. But who is the one true God, Vivek? It's not good enough to say there's one true God. Okay. Okay. And who is the God? <laughs> right? It's like one ring to rule them all. <laughs> uh, okay. And in the darkness, bind them. <laughs> yeah. Wrong God. Wrong God. Okay. This, we don't worship the eye of Sauron here, buddy. Um we have to define our terms because this is how this is how things get all slippery. You know, we're de we just dealt with um, uh, Michael Gungor being slippery and uh, being cunning and and clever in his language so that he can twist. He can do the twist with with theology. Um, and that's that's what the devil did with Eve. Right. Did God really say, and yeah, I'm just going to do some twisting here. And he, oh yeah, God doesn't want you to become like gods. You know, it's like, oh man. Well, you have to watch out for this, this ambiguous language. Chesterton says, um, 
evil always takes advantage of ambiguity. So when he says, we believe in one true God, well, are we talking about Brahman? <laughs> That's the Hindu God, okay? Um, but Brahman is not even Yahweh, okay? Um, because Yahweh uh, defined himself as separate from his creation, whereas Brahman is part of creation. And it's really pantheism that that Brahman represents. So no, so we, so even right there, if we just stop at the if we just stop at the Old Testament revelation of Yahweh, uh, we we would still say we're we're going different directions here. But once we get to the New Testament, the Christian understanding of who Yahweh is, we understand that Yahweh isn't Brahman, definitely not Brahman. Uh, Yahweh is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The the one true God is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you reject the triune God, you are rejecting the true God, Vivek. So it's not it's not just this this simple, oh, I'm going to throw the word God out so that all these Christians think I'm on the same page as them. No, we're not on the same page, bro. Name in vain. Observe the Sabbath. Respect your... Whose name in vain? <laughs> Brahmins? Don't kill. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. But all those commandments have a Christian context to them. And this is a very important point. Um, for example, when Jesus stands up in uh, on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus gives us a proper understanding of the meaning of and the spirit of those laws. So that, so that when Jesus says, um, uh, you know, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit uh, murder. But I tell you, if you hate your enemy or if you hate someone, you've committed murder with, you've murdered them in your heart. And then Jesus says, love your enemy, love your enemy. Well, that's, that's not, um, Hindu. That's not what the Hindus would do. And it, that's actually not what the modern Jews would do. They don't even believe in loving your enemies. I mean, look at how they're treating, treating the Palestinians, right? Christians love our enemies. We care about our enemies. We don't just wipe them out and obliterate them. And um, we care about care. We, we care about uh, uh, their dignity as as human people uh, as human beings, and we don't say that they're they're animals or they're goyim or they're whatever Gentile non you know non Christian you know heaps of waste. Um, and I believe in in India you have the caste system that create the religion of India created the caste system. What what's the caste system? In the caste system, there's something called the pariah, and the pariah is an untouchable one. You can't go near them. You can't touch them. They are, they might as well not even live. They are, they have been, you know, uh, born into being uh, uh, untouchable and unworthy of anyone's um, time and love and attention. And so, you know, Mother Teresa went into India and dealt with all of this stuff. And she loved the people and brought Christianity into not, she didn't introduce Christianity into India, but she was a Christian in the midst of all that heathenism and 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 showed the people, no, we care for 
the downtrodden. We care for the people who are broken. We, we love every person and care about their dignity and we treat them with dignity and with respect. But again, Jesus breaks down those 10 commandments so that, you know, for example, um, Jesus says, if you, you've heard it said, if you commit adultery with a woman, uh, uh, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, then Jesus says, but I say to you, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery with her in your heart. Oh, wow. So that changes the game. So God's now looking at our hearts and God and Jesus is saying you can sin not just with your hands. You can sin with your heart. So Jesus now, now God always meant to say that to the people of Israel. You know, Isaiah chapter one says, you know, uh, uh, clean your heart out. You know, your, your heart is is wicked and sinful. And and so God always wanted to clean the heart. Uh, of the people and deal with the heart and the spirit of the people. But, but Jesus is codifying that. And he's saying, no, you can't lust after, after a woman. And so that's why in Christian society, we take lusting after women very seriously. And historically we've always had laws against uh, public indecency. We've always had laws against even pornography. Yeah, there were pornography laws, anti-porn laws on the books. But guess what? Uh, those laws on the books uh, against against porn were overturned re recently by people who are godless, by people who are not Christian. And, and so we have a problem in the conservative movement. If we're going to have if we're going to have all these people in the conservative movement who aren't interested in conserving Christian morality, you know, he just mentioned morality that we share morality. Well, I don't share morality with a person like Dennis Prager who wants to, uh, uh, who thinks that porn is totally fine and that, uh, you know, just despicable, uh, things about porn are totally fine. And that doesn't want to ban porn. And that doesn't think that that porn is a problem in society. I don't share that morality with Dennis Prager because Dennis Prager is Jewish and he's just being faithful to his Judaism. And guess what? I'm being faithful to my Christianity and my mor the morality that my Christianity tells me to, to believe in. And that's why we can't have the same society with non-Christian people. We can't have the same society. We can't share these values because we don't share values. Ultimately, we don't. We're going in different directions. We don't have the same morality. And this idea that we do is false. It's not It's not real. It's a fake uh, I, uh, notion that we share the same morality as Hindus. Don't covet. That's when it hit me. We share the same value set in common. No, we don't. There's another core teaching in my faith, which is... I'll tell you what, Vivek, we will share the same value system in common when you believe everything that Jesus taught about the Ten Commandments. That is when we will share the same value system in common. Because we read the Ten Commandments according to Christ's teaching of the Ten Commandments. But you don't believe in Christ, Vivek. And so you don't believe that his authority to interpret the Ten Commandments and to give us the proper understanding of them through his law of love 
You don't understand that and you don't believe in that because you don't believe in Jesus. You don't believe in Christ. So how can we have, if you don't follow Jesus Christ, who is our lawgiver, then how can we, you and I have the same, share the same law? It's a contradiction. That we don't get to choose who God works through. God chooses who God works through. Again, who is God? So we get to the old... The, you know, the devil works through people. <laughs> so how do we differentiate between the devil working through people and God working through people? Testament, a little bit further along, we get to the book of Isaiah. I don't know if many of you are familiar with, with that one. God chose Cyrus, a Gentile all the way in Persia, to lead the Jewish people back to the promised land. And so, yes, I believe... Yeah, because the Jewish people were under judgment. <laughs> the Jewish people were under judgment. He's referencing Cyrus because God judged Israel and, and, and in the judgment of God on his people that caused them to be, uh, uh, you know, attacked, invaded and carried off as spoils. Uh, God, yeah, God redeemed the situation by allowing a remnant to go back to Israel. I mean, this is under the judgment of God. This is not an ideal scenario at all. And this is totally out of God context. put us here for a purpose. My faith is what leads me on this journey to run for president. My gratitude to this country is what leads me. And even when we think about the founding fathers, I'm a fan of history. OK, I talked about Thomas Jefferson earlier. We'll stick to Thomas Jefferson. He was a deist, actually. Oh, really? Oh, the deist. Okay. 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 He brings up the deist. Um, okay. So I'm not a founding fathers expert, but I'm pretty sure that there was like three people who, who were considered founding, you know, uh, found, founding fathers, signers of the declaration of independence and the constitution who were deists. Okay. So I don't know how many, initials and signatures were on there. I probably, I'm guessing let's, let's just Google this. Okay. Let's see. Um, how many founding fathers were deists? Come on, help me out. Google. Okay. Okay. Which founding fathers were deists? Um, okay. It says Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin. Um, we have James Madison and Monroe. Um, oh, the myth of the founders deism. Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting. Um, this is an interesting. Oh, this looks like a book that was written about this. Okay. Uh, America's founding fathers were not deists. Oh, okay. Let's look at this. Um, so, <laughs> okay. How many were deists? Um, I mean, I would say that, let's, let's see his conclusion here. I would say that the majority of them were Christians. Um, the strong, overwhelming majority of them. Um, okay, so he has Thomas Paine, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, and George Washington. Um, 
Okay. So, so we've got, you know, four or five guys who were apparently deists. How many founding fathers were there? I'm just doing this because I'm not, I'm actually not a, um, I'm not a, a political expert, right? This is kind of me out of my out of my um, wheelhouse. In all, 55 delegates attended the Constitutional Convention sessions, but only 39 actually signed the Constitution. Okay, so we have 39 dudes who signed the Constitution, and he's saying that f because four of them were deists, that means that everybody was deist. So, so, so 10% of the founding fathers were deists. Um, so Christianity, America was founded on deism. <laughs> I mean, that, I don't think that argument makes sense. Does that make sense to you guys? That doesn't make sense to me. So he's saying, he's talking about deism, Thomas Jefferson. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. And what was deism? Deism was the product of Christianity, right? Like de deism came, deism was a, Her a heresy, a Christian heresy. There's no deists in other religions, right? Within the context of Christianity, we have all these dudes who were raised Christian and Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Paine, Thomas Jefferson. These guys were raised Christian and they became deists um, because they didn't want to accept Christianity. But again, they, they, weren't, they did not represent in any way. 90% of the guys who signed the Declaration of Independence were, or the, the guys who signed the, the, the Constitution were Christian. 90%. Those are good Let's be honest us. about it. The, the left wants to rewrite our history and tell you he was a slave owner, an evil man. No, I reject that. Well, you're trying to rewrite our history and tell us that the Founding Fathers are represented by deism. But we're not going to have anybody rewriting our history. Thomas Jefferson. Right. We're not going to have anybody, including Vivek, rewriting our deist. history. Oh, he was a deist. Yeah. So let's focus on deism. You see what I'm saying? Like this, this guy is trying to, this guy is trying to manipulate you into focusing on deism instead of Christianity. When, when, you know, the majority of these 90% of these guys were Christians, America, every, and, and let's just, let's just, you know, forget the, the, the constitution, all the colonies, represented there were 13 colonies and all the colonies represented at uh, uh certainly at the declaration by the time the declaration of independence was signed um all the colonies were christian they were explicitly christian colonies with christianity as the established religion in each one of the colonies not hinduism not deism he made the jefferson bible you know how he did it he didn't believe in all the parts of the New Testament, but he took a blade, razor blade by why hand, this, glued it why does together. This matter? And that made the Jefferson Bible, which we have today. Wow. Oh, so let's all follow Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> you know, Jefferson also owned slaves and he slept with a few of them and got them pregnant. Should we all follow Thomas Jefferson in that too, Vivek? John Adams wrote letters to Thomas Jefferson, actually became something of a Hindu scholar after he left. And so I think it's important to see our founding fathers three-dimensionally, not the way that they've been rewritten post-1990 either. And so, yes, do I sh would I be the best president to spread Christianity through this country? I would not. 
so so what he just did was he pivoted to a founding father who wasn't a Christian. And by the way, founding father as in like a founding, you know, a guy who signed, who wrote the Declaration of Independence uh, and and signed the Constitution. You know, America is older than the Constitution. You know that, right? The, the, the 13 colonies <laughs> were, are, were, were, were not founded in, in 1789. <laughs> the founding, the, the 13 colonies were not founded in 1776, right? They were founded, um, m- most of them in the 17th century, and they were all cr- founded as Christian, Christian states with, Christ- as I said, Christian constitutions. So the heritage is all Christian, and it's like the great-grandson of you know, of the, the guy who founded the great, great, great grandson of the guy who founded Virginia, Thomas Jefferson, because I think Virginia was actually the first colony to be established. And that was in the 16th century. That was like 1559 or something like that. Uh, and it was founded by England, uh, Virginia, the, uh, the, the Virgin queen who, she wasn't a virgin, trust me. Uh, the, uh, the Virgin queen, Elizabeth, um, Queen of England. She founded Virginia. Well, okay. So that's, you know, that's a long way away from, that's like 200 years before Thomas Jefferson. And this is a Christian colony, all Christian virtue, all Christian laws on the books, not deism, but he goes to deism because it's a pivot to show, Hey, you know what? We, we can, we can uh, be, we can be Hindu. You can accept, Hey, listen guys, if you can accept a deist, you can accept a Hindu. (laughs) No, deism was a Christian heresy. Thomas Jefferson used a Christian Bible to cut it up. He was an anti-Christian, but he was, he was reacting like Michael, Michael Gungor against the religion he was brought up in. I'd be not the best choice for that, but I also don't think that that's, Hold the on, job let's, of the let's listen to what he just said. And so, yes, do I sh- would I be the best president to spread Christianity through this country? I would not. OK, well, then we don't want you. Sorry. Bye. <laughs> would I be the best president to spread Christianity and to support Christian values and to support Christian people? Probably not. I'll just be honest with you. Probably not. OK, I'll be much better on Hinduism. <laughs> I'll be much better on anti-Christianity. I'll be much better on secularism. Trust me, guys. Okay. But if you want me to share the deepest convictions that you hold, basically the thing that, you know, is your deepest identity as a person. Yeah, it's probably not going to be me. You know? Yeah, good, good. So we thank you for clarifying, Vivek. I appreciate it. You know, a lot of these people, they're like, oh, but Vivek is so based. Oh, Vivek, you know, he says he's going to get rid of the FBI. Oh, wow. That's, you know, Vivek says that Nikki Haley isn't good. Oh, wow. That's great. We need that. You know, it's like, dude, dude, you have to understand that uh, (laughs) this guy is not a Christian. This guy, yeah, he wants to get rid of the FBI and replace it with what? some Hindu version of it. <laughs> the Vivek is not going to represent. We need, we need as a Christian nation. And let me just say this Christian nationalism is the rise of Christian consciousness. And for far too long, we have allowed secular 
consciousness to dominate. We have allowed religious pluralism to get rid of Christianity, to make Christianity and our Christian values and our Christian identity, which is the greatest identity that we have. It's our first identity. Before we're uh, any sort of national identity, we are Christians. We are in the kingdom of God first, and our first loyalty is to Jesus Christ, and Christ is our king. Christ is king over all kings, king of kings, lord of lords, president of presidents. So our Christian identity is the most important thing about us. And if we can't apply our Christian values and our Christian identity and our Christian convictions to the society that we live in, then um, then, then there's really no point in participating in the Christ, in the society that we live in. There's really no point in e- electing people who are just going to persecute us, who are not going to agree with us, who are going to act against our values. Because if you are not with Christ, you are against Christ. There is no halfway house here. Christ makes us uh, Christ is exclusive in his claims to the to being the truth. And he is and as a king, he does not share his power with other people. He is he wants the whole banana. He wants all of our hearts and he wants all of our nation. And so Christian nationalism in its spirit is is essentially the rise of Christian consciousness where people are awakening to the fact that they are Christians and that Christianity has everything to do with what they believe and how they vote and the morals that they 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 hold and that that the 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 principles that influence the policies that that are being enacted in our country those principles are half they are Christian principles because you, if you're a Christian you can't help but have Christian principles and live as a Christian and vote as a Christian. And so what we need more of is we need more Christian leaders. And you know what? This, this used to be common sense. In, in, um, in the 13 colonies, you couldn't run for office if you weren't a Christian. And I think we need to get back to that. I think we need to get back to the point where, where we say, you know what? We're a Christian nation. The majority of us are all Christian here. And uh, at least culturally, all, all our cultural customs are Christian. You know, we ce- we celebrate Christmas. We have Christmas as a national holiday. We have we celebrate Easter. Okay, we are a Christian nation, and we don't we don't have Hindu holidays, and we don't we don't want Hindu holidays. We want Christianity, and we're tired of being sold these uh, makeshift uh, uh, substitutes, pathetic hydrogenated substitutes for Christianity. I want real sugar, not high fructose corn syrup. I want real Christianity, not this fake. Uh, we share the same values, Hinduism that is being, that is being, you know, uh, marketed like it's compatible with Christianity. Oh, if you like Christianity, well then you'll like Hinduism. No, that's not. No. If I liked Hinduism, I'd be a Hindu, but I don't like Hinduism. Okay. I like Christianity and I don't believe Hinduism is true. It's false. And it's a, it's a, it's a religion full of demon, demonic gods who are false gods. And it has false truth. Even, even though there is some truth in there, it's, it's, you know, there's, there's just like there's some truth in every lie. It's a lie. It, the religion is a lie. It's false. And, and that's what I want to say about re- that, that religion. And that's what I want to say about every religion that isn't Christianity. It's all false. Islam's false. Judaism's false. Hinduism's false. 
uh, uh, Buddhism is false. Secularism is false. All other religions than Christianity are false. And I'm a Christian and that's the most important thing about me. And that's how I'm going to vote. And that's how I'm going to view the world. And that's the kind of society I want to live in. I don't, I want to live in a Christian society. I don't want to live in a secular society. I want to live with Christian neighbors. I don't want to live with secular neighbors and godless neighbors and Hindu neighbors and Muslim neighbors. I don't want to live with people who don't share my religion, which is the deepest value. This guy's talking about Oh, we share values. No, my value is Christianity and you don't share Christianity because you're not a Christian. And I don't want to I don't want to substitute for it. I don't want these makeshift, you know, oh, but we can we can compromise. I'm not interested in compromising. Why should I why should I compromise? Why should the majority of Christians compromise? It's you that should be compromising, Vivek. It's the, it's the people who aren't Christians. They should be compromising. If they want to come to a Christian country, then they compromise and they abide by Christian law. But we're not going to compromise. Why should we, why should we bend over for these people? Why should we say, oh yeah, we're going to, we're just going to, uh, you know, our, we're going to take our Christianity and we're just going to go hide it over here and you can have your, your, your religion and your religion can be the one that we worship and celebrate and, and, and praise. And, <laughs> and we'll just, you know, we'll just kick our, our creed to the, to the curb. No, that's not what's going on here. Christian consciousness needs to rise and people need to be proud of their Christianity. They need to be proud of their Christianity. They need to wear their Christianity on their sleeve and they need to say, we are Christians. We want a Christian nation. We don't want our, our, our country turning into India. We don't want our country turning into Islam and is an Islamic nation. We don't want our country turning into China or some Asian country that worships Buddha or whatever. We don't want our country turning into a secular country like communist Russia or whatever. We want our country to be Christian. And that, again, that Christian consciousness needs to become predominant again. It needs to have a resurgence and a revolution. That is the revolution I'm interested in. I'd be not the best choice for that. But I also don't think that that's the job of the U.S. president. The, the job of the U.S. president is to represent the U.S. nation, the United States of America and the people of the United States of America who are all Christian, the majority of, who, of which are Christian. OK, and they come from Christian uh, 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 roots and the, all of their traditions are Christian traditions. And that's what you need to represent. You do need to represent Christianity, Vivek. You're unfit for office. But will I stand for the Judeo-Christian value? Judeo-Christian. Judeo-Christian. Will he stand for the Judeo-Christian? <laughs> that this nation was founded on, that I was... The Judeo-Hindu Christian? <laughs> will I stand for the Hindu-Judeo-Christian? You know, this is an interesting thing, too. This shows you how compromised this guy is and how you're not even... I wouldn't even trust this guy based on what his, his, Hindu, his Hinduism is. Like... His Hinduism is a compromised Hinduism in the sense that this guy is like, yeah, my Hinduism, I'm a Hindu, you know, I'm, I'm not a Christian, I'm a Hindu, but, you know, I'm going to represent the Judeo-Christian, you know, values, you know, and it's like, well, how does that even make sense as a Hindu? Like, if your Hinduism is real, why would you compromise on it? Why would you say, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not really a Hindu in public, you know, in public, I'll be good. I'll behave in public. I won't, I won't bring my Hinduism into it. It's like, no, 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 dude, 
Like, if you don't bring your Hinduism into it, that means that you don't really have a Hinduism. That means you don't really believe, actually. Like, pe people act how they believe, right? So, so this, this guy isn't, I mean, this guy isn't really even a Hindu. What is he? Raised in, even in the Hindu faith. Yes, I will. You're darn right I will. Yeah, he's going he's gonna to represent the Hindu Judeo-Christian value system. <laughs> Can't wait to get it all nice and uh, blended up in that beautiful religious blender. Just blend it all up. Yeah, here's some uh, pizza. We'll throw some pizza in there. We'll throw some uh, <laughs> dirt in there. We'll throw some... Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll throw some, uh, you know, uh, shaving cream in there and then we'll just mix it all up and you can, and as it. a young person picking up on that strand from earlier, I think it's my responsibility to make faith and patriotism and family and hard work cool again in this country. I think they're pretty cool. And I think that's my job as your next president, and to back to the First Amendment, we will stand for religious liberty in a way that neither Republicans nor Democrats actually have. That's what the First Amendment says. You get to practice your faith. Every pastor in this country gets to do his job without the government getting in their way. That's what I'm going to keep as the president. Thank you. Mm, exactly, exactly. So he ends on religious liberty, uh, which, is, which, is, which is actually a false understanding of the First Amendment because the First Amendment was not made so that uh, everybody could just do whatever they wanted to do and have ev any sort of religion that they ever wanted, all wanted to have. The, when the First Amendment was made, each each state had, as I said, an established religion. And in many states, there was actually an established church. And so there was a rela actual relationship in many of the states uh, between church and state that was real. And... Um, in some cases, the, the, the people would pay taxes and the taxes would go to the church. This is, this is yeah, they don't tell you this in your American history or American civics classes, uh, but this is the truth. And they don't want you to know the truth uh, because the truth would set you free. Um, but the truth is that the First Amendment was not made so that everybody could do whatever they wanted and we could have Hindus and Muslims and Buddhists and Christians and everybody is just blended all up in together and, and just one big nasty gross milkshake that nobody wants to drink. Um, no, what, what the first amendment did was restrict the federal government from infringing upon the religious identities of each state and say and the, the the first amendment was saying no as a religious as a for, as a federal government we are not going to make laws that favor federally one religion over another because each state already has chosen their christian religion that they want to have on the books in their constitution and so we're not going to infringe on that let the states have have their christian religions and the federal government is not going to infringe on that and so that was the purpose of the of the First Amendment. And um, now that has morphed post Civil War that has morphed into now states can't have religions. Uh, states, you know, South Carolina cannot say that Christianity is the only true religion and that if you're not a Christian, you can't run for office or be governor or you know uh, be be uh, uh, in politics south carolina can't identify itself as a christian state anymore because we can't have nice things because you know the, the supreme court has hijacked 
um, its understanding of the First Amendment. But the point is simply that historically that was the nature of of the First Amendment. And and I'll just say this. He points to religious liberties like I'm going to I'm going to champion religious liberty. Well, that's nice for you to say. That just means that you're going to import more Hindus and you're going to import more people that do not believe in Christianity and that and that we're stuck with religious pluralism. Uh, uh, for the rest of eternity and until until Christianity gets completely washed out. This is anti-Christianity, okay? And and this is what I'm reacting against. And I and I hate that. And um and I think we need to push back against that because religious pluralism is is theological liberalism. It is not the recognition that Christ is king, but it is a it is this it is this Brahmin Hindu idea that you can have that there's no such thing as a contradiction in terms. There's no there are no religions that really contradict each other, but everything's just this. There are many yogas, there are many pathways, and whatever way you choose is okay, and they all lead to the same destination. Well, that's not a, that's not Christianity. Christianity makes exclusive terms because Jesus made exclusive terms, and Jesus said, "I." am the way. I am the only way. There's no other way. There's no other pathway uh, to the Father, to God, other than through me. And so Jesus is exclusive in his truth claims, and that's what America needs to be religiously. America cannot continue to be religiously plural and continue to be successful as a nation. Uh, the, na the nation will continue to crumble uh, and and fall into idolatry and the punishment of idolatry will be will continue to be serious as long as America preserves this stupid notion of religious pluralism. Now, if we're talking about Christian pluralism, I get that and I understand that because there are unfortunately since the Reformation, many uh, denominations of Christianity. But ideally, it should not be be that way. And um Christianity should be, you know, respected as the religion of the people and favored as the religion of the people, as it's always been. And we should not we should not give into the secular notion of nor the Hindu notion of religious pluralism. That is unchristian. It is not uh, right. And it will con and that again, it's idolatry is what it is. It's the worship of false gods. And we, you know, if you if I'm telling you right now, you can call yourself a Christian and you can call yourself a conservative Christian. But if you continue to vote for people like Vivek, you will continue to uh, see the nation crumble uh, in its in its national identity. And, and, and you'll you'll continue to see the effects of idolatry, because what we're seeing around us, morally speaking, uh, as as punishments are the effects of idolatry. We have refused to allow Christian consciousness to rise. We have refused to allow Christianity to um, invade our politics, and we've 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 refused. You know, uh, out of this boogeyman of church and state, we've refused to uh, um, allow God and Jesus Christ, the triune God into our our political um, arena and and this is all due to the judeo-christian lobby this is all due to these conservatives who don't care about god tr truly who don't care about christianity and 
who hate Christ and I'm, t- I'm done with it. And I'm not, I'm not interested in that anymore. I'm a Christian nationalist and this is Gabriel Finocchio and you are listening to the reactionary Christian. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so I'm done with this religious pluralism thing, which is how he ended his point. Oh, I'm going to protect religious liberty, which means he's going to protect the false understanding of religious liberty, uh, which is Christian pluralism. And he's going to keep us uh, uh, going down the, the, the drain uh, as a, as a nation uh, and and he's gonna keep he's gonna keep us in idolatry and keep us under the judgment of God for for the immorality that follows from idolatry. I'm not interested in that. Sorry, Vivek, you don't get my vote. I think that's more important than anything else. And um, and Donald Trump at least says, yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, <laughs> even though you know he 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 is not a Christian according to, you know, an Orthodox understanding, but he's trying to, and he, he's like, I will be the Christian president. I will say Merry Christmas. I will say like, did you, I don't know if any of you listened to uh, his, if, if you have a chance, go and listen to Donald Trump's uh, 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 Christmas address. It is incredible. Um, actually, let's just, let's listen to it. Let's just listen to it. This is what I'm talking about. This is, this is what I, let me see if I can find it. Donald Trump Christmas message 2024. <laughs> okay, let's go. Let's see. What is this? Where is this? Google just won't. Oh, Melania won't. and I would like to wish everyone a happy, joyous, and wonderful Christmas season. In Thank this you. holy time of year, Christians yes. everywhere give thanks that over 2,000 years ago, God yes. sent his only son into the world to be the savior of all mankind. The yes. birth of Jesus Christ is the true miracle we celebrate each Christmas. Yes. He is Amen. the ultimate source of our joy, our hope, and yes, our he sense is. of peace. Yes, he is. Not Brahmin, not Buddha, not Harry Krishna, not Confucius, not <laughs> the devil, not Judaism. Okay. Not any of, not anything other than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the source. Let's go. Let's go. This is what I'm talking about. And goodwill as we gather with family and loved ones. It is such a great time of the year. This is why we can never stop saying that beautiful phrase, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. This holiday we give. See, see, this is what I'm talking about. This guy, (laughs) this guy's not a, like, he's not an orthodox christian in the sense i mean he might be look i don't want to judge his heart but from what he said in the past you know he's been like well i don't really sin i don't really sin okay well you you do sin and you need to repent for your sins and turn to the mercy and forgiveness of jesus christ but look like again this is this is like this is like the thomas jefferson thing right it's like raised in christianity he was raised in a christian home he's raised in a christian culture raised in a christian society he understands it from the inside okay and yeah he's developed and and gone you know a little off you know on his own but he gets it he's 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 under he understands christian psychology and he understands christian doctrine and guess what he's doing he's he's being the best christian president like and i'm actually not even being facetious here i'm not joking like seriously when i uh like abortion is a very very serious thing to me because i think it's the most important uh moral evil 
um, and political evil that is committed in, in American history. Uh, it's abortion is greater uh, is a greater evil than slavery. Okay, slavery was evil and it was wrong. Uh, the chattel slavery, the racial slavery, um, but uh, they, the 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 slaves were not all murdered. Okay, the slaves were not all killed. Right. Uh, some of them were, and some, and, and that's again, that's 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 terrible. But the point of the slavery, the point of slavery wasn't to murder people. The the point of slavery was to enslave people, so that they would work for you. Okay, um, you know. So the idea here is that abortion is direct killing. It's the whole point of abortion is killing and murder, the murder of human beings. And so uh, we have murdered an entire generation of people between 1973 and uh, 2023, an entire generation of people were murdered in the womb. And I have gone, I mean, all my life I've been against abortion, but, uh, you know, as, as, as far back as, you know, you know, 10 years ago when I moved into uh, Chicago and I moved, um, into the States, I began every single year attending, uh, anti-abortion marches, pro-life marches, right-to-life marches, and when I lived in Pennsylvania, I, I I would all I would every year I lived there for five years. I would drive down to uh, Washington D.C. and I would protest abortion, and uh, it was amazing. And Donald J. Trump was the only president in American hist- recent history. Okay that actually went to the pro-life march, the anti-abortion march. He's the only president. There are, there, you know, Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan. Guess what? Oh, I love Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan was amazing. Yeah, Ronald Reagan never went to a pro-life march. Ronald Reagan never showed up and said, hey, I support you guys. Keep marching. Ronald Reagan d- never put... Uh, 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 three pro-life justices on the Supreme Court uncompromisingly and and campaigned on it. Donald Trump campaigned on it, delivered on his promise, and guess what? At the end of his presidency, abortion was overturned. The slaughter of innocent people, the greatest moral evil in American history, was upended. So, let you know, so just... Let's go right there, right there. I I'm telling you like, that's, that's my vote right there, that issue alone. And, um, so I would just say like, you know, what's the Hindu view of abortion? I actually don't know. What is the Hindu view of abortion? Uh, what does Hinduism believe about abortion? Okay. Some Hindu scriptures assert that abortion is a worse sin than killing one's parents. All right. That's good. Another text says that a woman who aborts her child will lose her status. Okay. The Hindu, a Hindu view on abortion. Okay. Hinduism is unambiguously pro-life. All right. That's good. Is abortion legal in India? 
Abortion has been legal in India under various circumstances with the introduction of the Medical Termination of Pregnancy Act in 1971. The Medical Termination Pregnancy Regulations in 2003 were issued under the Act to enable women to access safe and legal abortion services. Okay, so uh, so India has so India is is pro-abortion. Um, and it doesn't look like the Supreme Court of India is changing its mind as of 2023. It says that Supreme, the Supreme Court of India's judgment on 29th of September held that unmarried women have the same right to abortion as married women. So abortion, um, abortion in India is legal. So I don't know if there's a, uh, some sort of discrepancy between Hinduism and, the way it's interpreted in India, but apparently India is pro-abortion. Well, America is not pro-abortion, so that's all I care about. All right. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Um, I'm just saying, you know, I'm not saying that everybody has, you know, to vote for Donald Trump or, or, or whatever. I am saying, though, in comparison to Vivek, uh, Donald Trump is a Christian, and there is no comparison in terms of the religious understanding and the religious motivation and that's the most important thing and um and i i think we need more politicians you know if they're not going to be christian they have to swear and promise that they're going to promote christianity and that's what we need and so for 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 vivek to get up and say well you know what if you want a christian president i'm not him if you want a president who's going to promote christianity i'm not your guy okay well then you're not our guy thank you Okay, so let's watch this next clip, and uh, this will be our final clip. All right. We've made, as usual, we've made incredible progress. <laughs> there are no gay people in Sodom and Gomorrah. There is no such thing as gay in the Bible, at least in the way we understand it. What happened in Sodom oh. and Gomorrah was about dominance through shaming. When the townsmen asked oh. for Lot's guests so they could know them, it wasn't a matter of sexual attraction. They wanted to subjugate and humiliate these foreigners in order to put oh, them in really? their place, to shame them oh, through really? domination. God did not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because the men were gay, but for their general reputation for violence and sinfulness. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 16, mm. verses 49 to 50, says God destroyed them for things like pride, injustice, and arrogance. Now, I don't think this story is historical, but that's another question entirely. The point of the story, though, is that Sodom and Gomorrah is not a proof text that God hates gays. Thinking so would be bringing our issues into that ancient story. Wow, <laughs> that was enlightening. Thank you so much. Okay, so this is a gentleman named Peter or Pete Enns. Uh, this guy was sent to me by a friend of mine, and um, and they were like, "Yeah, like, can you like help me understand this?" And uh, so I watched this guy's content um, uh, a couple of years ago, I think I remember. But this is one of his latest posts, I think. And um, he's got a, I think he's got like a, a teaching ministry, false teaching ministry <laughs> called the Bible for normal people. It should be the Bible for abnormal people um, because that seems like the uh, people that he's trying to market to so and promote. So here we go. Um my initial reaction here is that this guy, you know, he's, he, he's, again, we're dealing with, uh, the same sort of thing we were dealing with in, in the Gungor situation. These people twist the scriptures and they are, that's what the serpent did with Eve. He twisted God's word. And, um, 
and said, you know, God didn't really say this. God doesn't really um, hate the sin of homosexuality. Now, I would say this. When we start the video, um, the question at the beginning of the video is, did God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of gay people? Well, that's kind of, you know, <laughs> that's that's kind of a, a an awkward way of asking the question. We shouldn't, I mean, like, that's just a... Oof, a loaded way of asking the question, right? And it's it's based on this notion that God hates gays. You know, you've always you've always seen the the sign or heard, you know, people say, you know, Christians they think that God hates gays or you'll see the sign that says God hates fags, you know. And um all the English people are like, "What? Fags? <laughs> Those are my cigarettes." Uh, but in our context in America, that means gay, right, or queer. So there are no gay people in Sodom and Gomorrah. There is no such thing as gay in the Bible. At least okay, and in the so way he, we understand it. Okay, so so he's saying there's that's his first. Let's just take this apart bit by bit. So he said there's no such thing as as gay people in the Bible. Um, there were no gay people in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so um, so he's trying to change the narrative of Sodom and Gomorrah. And um, uh, really, I think um, that's where we really need to start. So the, the story of Genesis or the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is in Genesis chapter nine. And. So when we go to Genesis chapter nine, we see that um, angels were sent to um, Abraham telling him about the destruction of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's interesting. I think it's in actually Genesis chapter 18 that God says to Abraham um, that uh, the city, what what the people in, in Sodom have been doing um that um, they it was crying out to him. Let's see, let's see the. Uh, I'm going to switch translations here to ESV. Okay, and it says, um, okay, so it says in in uh, Genesis chapter 18 uh, that. The men set out from there and they took, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen Abraham that he may command his children and his house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they uh, have have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So there is a sin that cries to heaven. There is a sin that cries to heaven uh, in this in this uh, uh, scripture, and it cries to heaven from God. Now we've seen, or, or, or from the earth, we've seen in Genesis chapter four how uh, when Cain killed his brother Abel, God came to Cain and said, 
uh, your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Well, here's another sin that cries out to God for vengeance. And so the sin uh, that that um, that is going on in Sodom, we're about to see in the next chapter, um, but these angels are with Abraham and they it says that uh, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go your way. And um, these angels have been sent to, to get Lot uh, out of the city. Lot and his family, God is going to save Lot and his family from the destruction that he's going to send upon Sodom and Gomorrah. But um, the men of the city, uh, it says in verse four, but before the angels laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house and they called to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Uh, Lot went out to the men at the gate at the entrance, shut the door after the, after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. <laughs> so when the when the Bible says they're like, we want to know them, uh, it's talking sexually here. Okay, it's talking about having sex. The me, the men of the city of Sodom wanted to have sex with the angels who were who were you know uh, disguised as men, uh, and who were staying. They were fresh meat at the house of Lot, and meat was back on the menu at the house of Lot. And so these uh, gay guys wanted to have sex with with the with the with the men who were were the angels who were who looked like men and lot is like i beg you do not act so wickedly behold i have two daughters who have not known any man they're virgins let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please only do nothing to these men for they have come under the shelter of my roof and so, and so he's offering his daughters to these virgin daughters to these men of Sodom. Uh, but the but the men of Sodom are like, we want the men. We want the men, the man flesh. And so uh, but they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has uh, become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with with them. Then they pressed hard against the man lot and drew near to break the door down. Um. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck, the angels struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves uh, uh, out groping for the door. So basically, this is a this is explicitly describing a homosexual uh, encounter here, okay? So right out of the gate, you can tell this guy is... You know, he, this Peter ends guy, he, he's not he's not being honest with the text. Um, and this is how the text has been, was always interpreted. Um, even, you know, he mentions Ezekiel. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 16. He mentions Ezekiel chapter 16. And if you go down to um, verse 49, 
it says, behold, this was the, the, the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her sisters had pride. Well, that's interesting. She had pride. Oh, okay. Well, that reminds me of something that happens every June. <laughs> what happens every June? Oh, it's uh, Pride Month. Wow. Interesting. So you can have pride and be gay. Apparently, apparently you can have pride and be gay. Uh, somebody run and tell Pete ends. Um, okay, so this was the guilt of your sister. She and her daughters had pride. So they exalted themselves above the law of God. And they uh, they had excess of food and prosperous ease. So so out of their luxur luxurious living, uh, their luxurious living caused them to be idle and and okay we can we can understand the context there uh but then it says but they did not aid the poor and the needy okay good so so they did not aid the poor and the needy and that was a sin absolutely i totally agree with that let's go i you know that is a a, a part of the sins that were committed there i totally agree with that that was part of the sins that were being committed and and that's that's evil that's wrong but verse 50 goes on. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. This is God speaking. They were haughty and they did an abomination. So I removed them when I saw it. So what does that mean? That's an interesting word, abomination. Well, uh, that word comes up in um, another part in the Bible What kind of an abomination would he be talking about? Well, in the in the book of Leviticus, chapter uh, 20, verse 13, it says this. If a man lies with a man as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. So God is writing, God is, in, is laying down the law under the Mosaic law. And again, this, this Mosaic law happened, uh, you know, it was given to Moses 400 years after the incident with Sodom and Gomorrah. And so God is laying down the law for the nation of Israel. And, God's, and, and God says, this is an abomination. Uh, if, you, if you have a man sleeping and having sex with sexual relations with a another man as though that man was a woman uh both men have committed an abomination so ezekiel chapter 16 actually says that god saw an abomination and he dealt immediately with that abomination and what was the what was the 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 way god dealt with the abomination he in 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 sodom and gomorrah god rained down sulfur and uh, fire upon the city and he destroyed the city. And so, so God essentially pronounced, he, he, God, God carried out the sentence that he pronounces in Leviticus upon the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, because here in Leviticus 20, God says, yeah, these people who are homosexuals, uh, who act in a homosexual way, they've committed an abomination. And according to the Mosaic law, God says they shall surely be put to death. And their blood is upon them. So it's an abomination, 
right? And that's so so it wasn't just the poor and the needy that were that were not being taken care of, which I, I you know that is absolutely a part of the story, but there's also something else going on. There's also the men of Sodom wanting to uh, have sex with the angels <laughs> that were men and and that were that were home that were wanting to engage in homosexual lust. And um, this isn't just my interpretation of it. This is go, this goes right into um, the interpretation of it in the New Testament. If you go to the book of Jude, in Jude chapter one verse seven, uh, Jude says this: "Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued." unnatural desire serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So Jude, who is writing long, a thousand, over a thousand years after the Mosaic covenant is given, Jude is writing and interpreting the, the Old Testament text. And this is in the Bible, this is the New Testament interpreting the Old Testament. And guess what? The it, it, it interprets the sin, the primary sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, as sexual immorality, the abomination that Ezekiel talks about, the abomination that, um, well, sexual immorality and, and unnatural sexual immorality, unnatural desire. Uh, the Greek says different flesh. And so that idea is totally uh, continuous with and in continuity with Leviticus chapter 20. Uh, also, there's another reference in Leviticus 18 we didn't look at, but Leviticus 20, Leviticus 18, and Ezekiel uh, 16. So, and the actual text itself of Genesis uh, 19. So, you know, that's what, so the New Testament is interpreting the Old Testament. You see, and saying this is what it was. Sodom and Gomorrah was judged because of its sexual immorality and not just the sexual immorality, but the way the sexual immorality manifested itself by unnatural desire. So when the Bible says, you know, we use the word gay, the word gay did not mean homosexual. In fact, the the word, yeah, the word gay did not mean same sex uh, you know, uh, same-sex sexuality uh, previous to, like, 1960. <laughs> like, if you look at the etymology of the word gay, the, it, it, the using that term, that term used to mean happy. You know, uh, in our Christmas carol, um, what is it? Um, you know, have yourself a merry little Christmas, make the yuletide gay. You know, it's like, no, it's not talking about making the Yuletide homosexual or same sex, you know. No, it's saying that that was an old expression, uh, an English expression for being happy. Make the Yuletide happy. Make it merry. And so that word has been co-opted and stolen and hijacked uh, by the homosexual ideology. And it has been twisted into uh, this this notion of of um, same-sex attraction. 
So, but the Bible says unnatural desire. It doesn't say gay. It says unnatural. This is not natural. This is not normal. This is abnormal. This is not with nature. This is against nature. So nature is telling you, it's like this. Nature's telling me to eat food and I don't eat food. Well, what is that? That's, that's going against nature right? Nature is telling me to use the restroom when I have to use the restroom and I don't use the restroom. And I, that's going against nature. My nature, my body is telling me to do something because it's, because that's how the body works. That's how nature works. And we don't do it. We go against it. Do you see? And that is the meaning of this phrase against nature or unnatural desire. And so when it has comes to unnatural desire in in terms of sexuality, we have to understand that there there are forms of sexuality that are against nature. Yeah, they're against nature. And homosexuality or same-sex sexuality is against nature. And why is that? Because nature is primarily interested in the uh uh in terms of sexual uh uh nature, sexual nature is only for the purpose of reproduction. I mean, in the sense that in terms of an animal function, that's animals uh, copulate and have sex to, to reproduce other animals. That's what nature tells us about sex. And so nature is saying, this is the purpose of sex, okay? That you create and you procreate and you propagate the species. If you don't use sex for that, that's against nature. And that's that's kind of an obvious point. But we are, you know, we have uh, an, uh, a high, uh, a higher degree of intelligence than we are. We are we are rational creatures. So we can choose whether we want to do that or not. You see, that's the that's the funny part here is that we can, animals like two dogs, they can't choose whether they want to have sex or not. If the dog is in heat, it's going to have sex with the other dog and they're going to they're going to they're going to make puppies. They're going to make baby dogs. And so they can't choose. They just go along with with their with their natural instinct. For us, we can choose not to. We can choose to forego that. We can choose to act against that because we have rationality and we have an intellect that understands how things work and we have a free will that that can choose to go against that and so that's that just means that we have all the more responsibility for our actions because we're not just animals and we can't just do it like they do it on the discovery channel we have to choose and we have a we have actually a moral responsibility for our actions and so that god wants us to choose the natural desire god wants sexuality to be uh done in a natural way not an unnatural way and so as as we see we see jude 7 talking about it one last scripture on this is um second peter chapter 2 and uh, going down to verse four, it says, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment, until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world 
of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented his righteous soul over he, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. And so uh, Peter goes on and then says, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those, check this out, Peter says, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. So, Peter, the whole, the, Peter points to the fact that it was the sexual, sensual conduct of the wicked of Sodom that, that caused the punishment. And then he uses that and says, God knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment. Uh, and especially those who indulge, those, those unrighteous people, wicked people who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. So again, Jude interprets it as unnatural and and uh, lustful, uh, unnatural vice and desire. Uh, Peter also interprets it as sexual conduct, but also lust that that is a defiling lust, not just a lust that is understandable. That oh yeah, uh, men like women, men are attracted to women. <laughs> okay, that's we understand that. No, we're talking about a unleashed lust that ha that knows no boundary and that is defiling to a person. And so both of these Christian New Testament writers are interpreting the Old Testament for us. And that is the, the that is the proper interpretation of these passages. And I'm sorry but Pete ends is was did not write the New Testament. He did not write our Bible. He is not uh a biblical authority and does not carry the same weight of biblical authority that these new Testament writers do. So really, um, in the end of it, at the end of the day, um, we just have to understand that, you know, these guys are going to offer, um, it's really Pete ends offering his interpretation of the old Testament versus the new Testament interpreting the old Testament for us. And also 2000 years of church history, uh, interpreting those passages for us where the word sodomite has come from, right? So the, the, the early church fathers, they all interpreted these passages to mean that the sin of Sodom was, was a sexual vice of unnatural lust. And, um, and so, so it's, it's, it's the new Testament, it's church history versus, uh, Pete ends and his personal opinion. Also, Jesus did believe that, um, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah was true because in multiple passages, Luke chapter 17, Matthew chapter 10 and 11 and Luke chapter 10, Jesus affirms that the story of Sodom and Gomorrah was real, that Sodom and Gomorrah were real, uh, places and the people in them, uh, would be, uh, represented actually, they, they would stand up on the day of judgment. And so Jesus himself confirmed that those stories were true and not just fictional fant fantastic myths. So anyway, I hope uh, that's all we're going to do. We'll do more on the next round, uh, but I hope 
you guys got something out of that one. And um, if you guys have a chance, please uh, follow me on Rumble. I'm really trying to build the Rumble channel and uh, smash that follow button, smash the like button, um, and uh, please uh, you know follow me there. But we also have the podcast on Spotify and Apple and stuff. So anyway, love you guys. Thank you for listening. And uh, go out in the world and be reactionary Christians.